0: It's such a blessing to serve on the Southern Hills International Missions Team. My fellow IMT members and I want to say thank you for your support and to let you know a little more about our missions program. Our church is a primary supporting congregation for five full-time missionary families. The Griggs in San Antonio, the Wallaces in Denver, the Kasoris in Rwanda, the STEM camps in South Africa, and the McIntyres in Peru. Our five missionary families are serving in points that the IMT has recognized and acknowledged as receptive mission points throughout the world, in Sub-Saharan Africa, in Latin America, and in the United States. In 2016, members of the church and the IMT visited all five of our missionary families, strengthening our connection with them and providing them with encouragement and support. Southern Hills is providing funds for new ministry partners in 2017, including Live Beyond in Haiti where lots of our members go. Our Harvest Funds will help ACU students in our congregation who are training to make a difference for Christ in this world. For instance, next year we'll help send Charles Nix and Kevin Carroll to South Africa to serve as apprentices for a year under the Steam Camps. We also have planted six congregations in Sub-Saharan Africa and the nation of Ghana. These were planted by Southern Hills on a Let's Go trip in 2013, and the preachers there are supported by the generous funds given on Harvest Sunday. In 2016, 171 of our members got up and went on Let's Go mission trips to 19 destinations. In 2016, Let's Go trips went to destinations in North America, South America, the Caribbean, Asia, and Africa. Those members have traveled over 382,000 miles, enough to circle the earth over 15 times. Our mission program is strong, and we thank God, and we thank you, our church family, for making all of this possible. Harvest Sunday is coming up, and we look forward to your response to the opportunity to play a role in the missions program at Southern Hills. My hope for Harvest Sunday is that we not only meet the $350,000 financial goal that we've set but also have a greater involvement from our members in trips that we take abroad and in ways that they reach out to our missionaries. My hope is that families commit to doing these things together, to giving and to praying and to even going. Many people are not actually able to go on mission trips but everybody can pray. We solicit your prayers for our missions program. My hopes are that Harvest Sunday remind us all of the opportunity we have to tell the good news about Jesus, to help people who need his love, his forgiveness, his encouragement. I hope that everyone will be a cog and to pray, give, go, and lead in our mission efforts. It takes all of us to partner with him to carry out his grand plan and scheme for why he came into this world. May God lead us and work through us this Harvest Sunday as we seek to fulfill our role in this team effort. So Stephen Corbett, who worked hours to pull that video together, is currently in Rwanda. Encouraging Surge and Esperance and their work there. And so uh, even halfway across the world this morning, we're blessed by his service. And I know that the, the people there are being blessed by his ministry as well. Next Sunday is Harvest Sunday. And we are, are, have been and will be continuing to encourage you to think about how you're going to be a part of not only both the amount that we give and pledge next Sunday financially, uh, pledge to give over the next 12 months, but also ways that you and your friends or you and your family members can think about being a part of God's mission, beyond financial giving and beyond praying, but that you would find a trip, a Let's Go trip that you could be a part of. If you've been on a Let's Go trip before, you're, you're familiar with a destination, you know a little bit about it, you may this year want to be thinking about how you can, can lead other people on that kind of trip. Now you may wonder, as, as we think about all of these different trips and locations and missionaries, um, who is it that's helping us figure out our church's overarching goal and role in God's mission? And that would be the IMT. And for many of you, uh, the video we just watched may be one of the first times that you have seen some of those members face to face. But these servants of God spend hours each year In prayer and in conversation, trying to seek God's will for us as a church. And we would not be able to do what we're doing as a church family without their service, without their help. They have made sure this year especially we focused on not only financially supporting missionaries, but sending people to go be encouragement to those missionaries, and that has happened in in some really incredible ways this year. And so would you join me in thanking them for the hours and the time and the effort that they have spent as a team helping us do this? Hopefully you received a letter this week uh, in the mail kind of laying some some details out. There's additional details in our bulletin and you may see in the pew rack in front of you that there's already pledge cards uh, waiting for you if you want to take that and look it over. Please, uh, this goal of three hundred and fifty thousand is a stretch goal for us, but it is something that we can undoubtedly reach. And as the video said, we want to not only think about the ways we can support financially, but in all the other ways that God calls us to give of ourselves. Uh, would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for this church family. I thank you for everybody who calls Southern Hills home, and we. We really want to be a church that focuses on all the places you, you call us to go in your name. Sometimes that's school or work or across the street, and other times it's across the world. And no matter where it is, God, that you call us, we want to, we want to be people who listen for your voice and answer that call. God, as we prepare our hearts this next week to think about how we want to be a part of this team effort, of of the missions ministry of this church in the coming year, we pray that you would give us wisdom and insight and guidance. We pray that you would give us courage. We pray that you would give us perseverance and strength. We pray that you would help us understand what it is you're you're asking us to do. God, I pray that you would work through us in mighty ways that are, are beyond our ability to ask for or imagine. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So this morning, we are finishing what has been a 12-week sermon series that we've called Open. Hasn't only been a sermon series, we've also had some open groups, and we continue to receive really good feedback about the experiences that people are having as they try out some of these practices together in community. And we just want to encourage you, as we, we kind of reach the end of this conversation for right now, that... God wants us to be more and more like his son, and there are ways that that happens. There are practices that we can engage in that help shape our hearts and our imaginations into people who look more and more like Jesus and are able to see others the way Jesus does and to do the things that Jesus does. Um, And so I I hope that this has not only been challenging, but also uh, uh, an inspiring and hope-filled journey for you. It has been for me. Uh, today we're going to be focusing on the spiritual practice of giving. I'm not crazy, it's always the last one in a series, right? So uh, we, we, we know that there's different ways to give. This morning we're going to be focusing on financial giving and the ways that that can help us be more like Christ. This will be our last Sunday to kind of have these note booklets that are out and available to go along with the sermon series. And so if you weren't able to, to get one on your way in, please make sure if you want one uh, to pick it up on your way out. One evening, this was a handful of years ago now, when Riley was still four years old. I remember we were sitting on the couch together, and it was after dinner, and it was just kind of that time in the evening when, when you have to be a family. Sometimes that time is chaotic, other times it's, it's peaceful. And this one evening, it was a peaceful time. I was sitting reading a book, and Riley, at four years old, was sitting on the couch next to me pretending to read her book. And she kept looking over at me to make sure I was noticing her reading with me. And suddenly she sighed out loud and she said, Hmm, is it getting close to my bedtime? And, I, you know, I didn't know why she was asking. Because there's times that your child asks you that, and that's just the countdown to expressing in all kinds of ways that they don't want to go to bed anytime this century. Then there's other times that, you know, they, they accepted a little better. And the way she said it just made me wonder. And I said, well, yeah, honey, it, it's about five minutes away from when we're going to start to get you ready to go to bed. And she goes, well, that's good because it's been a, it's been a tough day. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? Put my book down. I said, well, what, what made today tough? And she said, well, It was just a really long recess at school, and I played really hard, and so it's been a tough day. Do you even remember when in your life a tough day meant playing too hard? Do do you remember being... Four years old, I, it's been thirty-three years for me since I've been four years old. I'm not sure how how clearly I remember it. But can you can you even imagine what it would be like for for what would make your day tough is if you, you either play too hard or you have to share too much at playtime, or you you might not have three books read to you at bedtime, only one, and that would make it a rough day. I I don't remember exactly what it felt like, feels like to be in that place, but I do remember that when I was, was that age and, and growing up in my household that I didn't have all that much to worry about. I mean, I'm sure I thought I did, but looking back, I just I didn't have all that much to worry about. And I have always excelled at worrying. And so even at young, young ages, I, I'm sure there were things that I was thinking through and anticipating and nervous about, but there's one thing that looking back I know I didn't worry about when I was 4 or 5 or 6 or 7 or 8 or even 15 years old. I didn't worry about money. I, I had no reason to really think about money because I grew up in a home where my parents had always taken care of not only my basic needs but also a lot of my wants. And, and I didn't know to worry about money. I didn't know to really even think much about money. And part of that's because my parents wanted to shield me from that. They they didn't want me to deal with it. But as I've gotten older and as I've looked back at my family history, I know that for most of my growing up years, money was very, very tight. And I just didn't get it. You know, when my parents would would take us to garage sales to get toys and books. I thought we did that because it was fun and not because that was the only way my parents could afford to get new to us toys and books. I thought ramen noodles and hot dogs were good and that's why we ate them. I didn't know we were eating them because they were really, really inexpensive to eat. I, I, I never had to think about the kinds of things my parents were having to think about when it came to money. Because they didn't want me to have to worry. I, I, didn't, I didn't worry because I didn't know. And there are times in my life now, I would love to go back to that, that place of, of not worrying because I don't know. I mean, my, my parents really struggled to make ends meet. And it was just something we never really talked about. There, there was something that, that we did talk about, and that was that even when my parents were really having to, to sacrifice to make decisions, and, you know, I, I thought when my parents would say we can't afford to get that right now, that was just their polite way of saying we're not, we don't want to spend our money that way right now. I didn't know we literally couldn't afford to get a certain brand of shoes that I wanted or Or, you know, the kinds of clothes that my sisters wanted. I didn't realize my parents were having to make those kinds of decisions because they didn't talk much about that at all. What they did talk about was no matter how much we happened to have as a family, at any given time, my parents talked about how we wanted to cut back on what we were spending on ourselves so that we could help other people who were needier than we were. We talked about that a lot. And, and that always involved not only my parents, I, I'm sure, having to cut back, but we had to decide. And my parents would sit down and say, you know, we're, we're getting close to Christmas, and we, you know, we're thinking about being able to get you this many presents. You know, we're going to get you three presents each, but we found out about a family at church that isn't going to get a Christmas. Would you give up one of your, your presents for that other family? You know, there were years that I did want to give that up and years that I did because my dad wanted me to give it up and I didn't want to deal with the consequences of saying no, right? That that my parents didn't talk a lot about us not having enough, but they did talk about other people not having enough and how were we going to be a family that cared about that and did something about it? A Bible story my mother told us over and over and over again, is traditionally called the the story of the widow's might. I never understood what that title meant, uh, but I could tell you the story by heart because my mother told it over and over again. There's one day that Jesus and his disciples are are walking by a, a place in the temple where they're collecting money for the temple treasury and all these wealthy people are giving huge amounts of money uh, to the the cause and then with nobody else really paying attention, Jesus notices that this widow comes up and she quietly places two small coins in the treasury. My mother would always say, you know, those, those two coins weren't worth two pennies. And Jesus stops and points that out and says to his disciples, I want you to see all those wealthy people over there. I, I want you to know that this, this widow just gave more than all of them combined because they gave... And still have plenty left over. She gave everything she had to give. And my mother would tell us that that the story, it, it meant something. What it meant was that Christian giving isn't about the amount you give. It's about how much what you give actually costs you. And even at five and six and seven and eight years old, I knew the difference between somebody who has a fortune giving what seems to be a large amount of money, but it doesn't really impact their life. And this widow who had nothing left, but who gives everything, because it's, it's the kind of relationship with God that she has. The, the two main ways that we gave growing up were, were to church and to charity. And sometimes that meant formal charities, and other times it meant you know families that were in need that my pa- family uh, found out about and wanted to help and so we would do what we could to help them my parents encouraged us to always think through how did we how with the money we had should we strike a balance between helping god's people through church and helping all kinds of people that we came across and when i started to make my own money in high school you know, I didn't realize my parents were still, as my father said, subsidizing everything that really mattered. You know, I thought I have my own money here. I can kind of do what I want with it. No, not in my house. So we, my parents on payday, my dad would sit me down and it would be a committee conversation about what we were going to be doing with the money I made. And I had a hard time with that. But my dad didn't care that I had a hard time with it. He just said, We we're gonna talk about this. How do you plan to give, son? Who are you planning to help? There was there was a, a safety net in those conversations, as frustrating as they could have been. And there were times they were frustrating to me. The safety net was I knew that no matter what we decided as a family, and my sisters always wanted me to give way more than I wanted to give. My my parents were still going to take care of my basic necessities, and so there was no way. I could give 100% away of what I was making at that point in my life, and it really wouldn't impact me much because my parents were there, and they were going to do whatever it took to make sure that I had what I needed. And so even though there was a part of me that felt like it was my money, and even though it was difficult to say, well, it's our money, and now what are we going to do with it? I I still was able to hold on to it pretty loosely because I didn't, I didn't really feel like I absolutely needed it. It, it was a luxury, and I, I had a good relationship with it in that way. I, I was able then to not give in fear or anxiety or or a sense of needing to control everything with the money that I had. I just, I gave in trust, because I trusted my parents, and they trusted God, and that always worked for us. Time and time again, God helped us. Now, then when I got to college, uh, I was kind of on my own for the first time, and there was no longer the forced family conversation about what we were going to do with the money I was earning, and college cost a lot more than any of us expected you know we thought we'd figured it all out but we hadn't and so I started working to try to help uh, my parents and then over time my you know sister started going to school too and they couldn't really afford it for all of us to go to school at the same time and so I was really having to find ways to to pay for school myself and go to school and pass my classes and it was just it was stressful it was a lot to juggle and and I remember then that without my parents' safety net, my relationship to the money I was making was very different. Because I was afraid then that if I wasn't careful, I wouldn't have enough for, for my basic needs. If I gave at the same rate that I had always given growing up, right? If I, if I continue to be as generous as my parents had modeled for me and taught me to be, that I could somehow accidentally give too much and then I'd be in trouble. And I convinced myself, you know, my mom and dad would never want me to call and ask for more money because I'd given too much of it away to other people who needed it. And so I, I kind of came up with this elaborate way to think about money and God and my relationship to that. And I thought, well, I, I need to make sure I not only keep enough for my basic needs, and I wouldn't have admitted it then. I, I need to make sure I have enough for um, the stuff that I, I want. And then if there's anything left over, then I'll help somebody. But it just seemed that often there was almost nothing left over. By the time I had given myself what I thought I needed, by the time I had spent the money that, that helped me get what I wanted, I just, there wasn't much left over. What I, I figured out, in other words, how to give in a way that really didn't impact my day-to-day relationship with the rest of my money it it didn't change any other decision i had to make about how i would spend it so i could tell people i was giving most importantly at that point i could tell my parents that i was giving but it was it was the bare minimum to be able to say that and have that be the truth now why what shifts right in in all of our hearts where we go from thinking i, I I like money, I can do things with money, but I hold on to it loosely because I trust that someone else will take care of me, ultimately. Right. H- how does that shift take place from that to, I need to hold on to every single cent I make because what if? I, I think, I think what, what shift is taking place, there is at some point as we mature and as we grow up as, as human beings, we start to really wrestle with how to get the future we desperately want for ourselves, and and one we don't talk about this enough in church. I don't think, but but here's the thing: I, I think that the, the biggest obstacle you and I face in our spiritual lives, and therefore in all of our life, is this drive to try to secure our own version of the future. Right? It's this longing we have, and we. We may not ever verbalize it, but we at least picture it, we imagine it, this future version of ourselves where we have everything we've ever wanted. And once we we get to step into that experience, we tell ourselves that we're going to feel like this is it, I've arrived. I have everything I've ever wanted, I've ever dreamt about, and my life now will feel like it has meaning. And once we have that fixed image of whatever that life looks like, we start to have this soul-deep ache to fulfill it. And we will pretty much do anything to try to get there. We'll, we'll treat people in ways that we really can't defend to try to get there. We'll work hours that, that cause us to not really be present for our family and our friends. And, and it's, it's worthwhile because it's going to help us get there in our minds. We have this drive to try to secure this version of the future that we, we feel like this is what we were created for. And yet, on the other hand, as people of faith, I'm afraid that what happens is God isn't the image of the life we want to have more than anything else in the future. God becomes a way for us to get that life. God's not the goal anymore. A relationship with God isn't the goal anymore anymore. God and a relationship with God are something we employ in our lives to get what it is we want. And once we start to view God as a way to get what we want, we start to view almost everyone else in our lives in that same way. So on one hand, we come to church and we pray and we sing and we talk about God and we thank God for all the things that God has already given us. But part of what's driving us is we are coming here to touch base and remind God of all that we're doing and giving and sacrificing so that God will give us the kind of future we desperately want. And we're also terrified that God will decide not to give it to us. And so, we tend to struggle with being people of faith who believes, we believe that God is going to give us our future. But on the side, we are desperately working to make sure that just in case God decides not to give us that future, we can achieve it without God's help. The Apostle Paul knows and more than anything else, what we are tempted to use in addition to God to get the future we want, to control the future, is our money. And we do that because in many ways we look at our lives and we know that money is necessary in our economy for life. We know that money can, can often bless our lives. We know that in some ways money controls our lives. And so since it has, has helped us in the past and we've been able to use it in the past, we start to obsess about it in the present so that we'll have more than enough to use in the future. And what Paul knows is that in all of this, we shift from people whose lives are primarily built on trust and we become people whose lives are mostly built on trying. Trying really, really hard to get everything we need and everything we want. And then in the midst of all that, we're trying to make God the most important thing in our life. And it just doesn't work. And, and so we have to decide, you know, what, what are we going to do? And I I think Paul might be tempted to say, just get rid of money, get it out of your life. But money has been such a core of society for so long, the answer can't be get rid of all the money. The answer is, instead of using Jesus to get you money, you need to trust that Jesus will continue to bless you with enough money... And Jesus needs to be more important to you than money. In fact, Jesus needs to be the way you relate to all money. That you don't relate to money directly. But you intentionally place Jesus in between you and the stuff you have. You place Jesus in between you and the stuff you want. And you remind yourself that more than all of that other stuff, who you were created for is Jesus. Now, if we can develop a healthy relationship with money, then it's, it's not a problem. It becomes something that God can use to usher in the kingdom. Open up your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll start reading together in verse 6. Paul says, what I mean is this. The one who sows a small number of seeds will also reap a small crop. And the one who sows a generous amount of seeds will also reap a generous crop. Everyone should give whatever they have decided in their heart. They shouldn't give with hesitation or because of pressure. God loves a cheerful giver. God has the power to provide you with more than enough. "...of every kind of grace. That way you will have everything you need always, and in everything to provide more than enough for every kind of good work. As it is written, he scattered everywhere, he gave to the needy, his righteousness remains forever. The one who supplies seed for planting and bread for eating will supply and multiply your seed, and will increase your crop, which is righteousness." You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous in every way. Such generosity produces thanksgiving to God through us. Your ministry of this service, your ministry, he calls this, this giving, your ministry of this service to God's people isn't only fully meeting their needs, but it is also multiplying in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. They will give honor to God, for your obedience to your confession of Christ's gospel. They will do this because this service provides evidence of your obedience and because of your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. They will also pray for you, and they will care deeply for you because of the outstanding grace that God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, his gift that words cannot describe. Paul is tapping into all of our our anxieties in this text. He knows that what we really struggle with is this question of do we have enough. And so he says in as many different ways as he can, you have always had more than enough. And you will always have more than enough. Because the God you are being obedient to through your generosity will always Watch over you. will always take care of you. Now, you can say that. You can recite it. You can talk that way. But the only way you and I are ever going to really know, the only way we're going to be able to prove, even to ourselves, that we actually trust that way is by giving in extravagant ways. It is through giving in extravagant ways, wherever it is that we feel God is calling us to give, that we enact our faith in God's future for us. That's hard. It's difficult because so much of our relationship to money in our world is about us trying trying to secure our own version of the future, and we lose this ability, this willingness to trust that God will give us his vision of our future, and and to trust that while God's vision of our future is, is probably not as easy or as smooth as we'd want it to be, that God's future for us is always better than our future. Can we make that confession, and then can we live in a way that makes that real to us and everybody else? See, if we're still trying more than trusting, we will always stockpile more than share. And that leads us to our last spiritual practice definition, and it's forgiving. And it's this, that giving is trusting God to take care of us more than trying to take care of ourselves so that we can share more than we stockpile. When we give like the poor widow gave, when we give the way Jesus gave... We give until it hurts. And giving until it hurts is the definition of giving sacrificially. But just like me in college, most of us are tempted to not give until it hurts. We give in a way where it almost never hurts. We, we find a way to give and, and, and it doesn't impact our budgets enough for us to have to make any sort of spending adjustment or saving adjustment, we, we find ways to work it in where we almost never experience the decision we have to make over and over and over again to be people of generosity. We have to be honest in ways that I think, are uncomfortable for us to be honest about. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that you and I don't have any role in partnering with God, in in providing for ourselves, and in really providing for other people in the future. I'm just saying that, that we have to be people who remind ourselves and one another over and over and over again that we have what we've been given. We do not have what we have all on our own, by ourselves, earned. We have what we've been given. Because even the ability to try to partner, even the ability to try to trust instead of trying to provide for ourselves, by ourselves, right? Even that that longing, life itself, all of its gift... And so the ability to work, the ability to be wise with what we do with the money we're given in return for that work, all of that is something that God has blessed us with. And all of it is something that you and I have to be good stewards of. We have to use those gifts in ways that never just bless us, but bless all of the people in God's world that God longs to bless. It'd all be simpler if God would just drop all the money that anybody would ever need into a big pile somewhere and then let everybody run and take what they need and have that pile keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger until everybody has everything. But that is not how God has decided to provide for the needs of the world. Instead of creating this huge pile of blessings that stands apart from any one of us, God has instead decided to pour blessings into our lives trusting that we won't stockpile it. But that once our basic needs are met, and let's be honest, even many of our wants have been met, that we would find ways, that we would develop plans, that we would be intentional to say, this was never intended for me and me alone. But that God, why would God continue to pour blessing in our lives when we already have our basic needs met? Because he wants us to have the soul-shaping experience of sharing with other people. It's a challenge to be a part of God's miracle of providing for others, but it's also a profound blessing to get to be a part of that miracle. We have a a role to play, but I really believe that it's a role that's more about trusting than trying, and it's certainly not about us trying to take care of ourselves, by ourselves, for ourselves, you know, where it just basically stops with us. That's not what God wants for us or anybody else i think thinking back at that shift in college for me where I just start having a difficulty of letting go of money. And I find that, that I go through seasons now in my life where I'm able to trust and then something will happen. Some unexpected expense crops up or something goes on in our life. And the next thing you know, I'm just focusing on, on trying really hard to make sure that i'm earning enough to take care of myself and lauren and the girls and then if there's anything left over we'll try to help other people outside of the the commitments we've already made to give and yet i find that when i live out of this fear fear of scarcity right this sense that there's not enough to go around that it makes me less it it, it diminishes me to think that God is at some point going to stop taking care of us. Then I realize that even though I talk like I believe God takes care of us, that in all practical ways, I actually think I take care of my, myself. And here's what I really know beyond a shadow of a doubt, is that if I could ever manage to sit down with God and have a conversation about how I wish this would go, I would say to God, look, can we just work it out where you just give me all you're going to ever give me at once? Because then I could plan you know, just give me all of it, all at once, and then I'll decide how much of it I need to save and how much of it we need to spend. And then, and then I promise, I promise God, if there's anything left over, I'll share it. But what if the kind of relationship God wants with us, and I'm telling you, if you read the Old Testament and the New Testament carefully, it seems that this is precisely one of the difficulties. See, we... We, th- we think that growing up means we don't need help. We think that growing up means we don't need to rely or depend. But from the very beginning, what God has longed is to have a relationship with us where we never believe we're going to outgrow our need for his help. He doesn't want us to get to a place where we're self-sufficient because first of all, we aren't. And second of all, it's not good for us to think that we are. God wants us to, to have to trust, not just once, but over and over and over again. I mean, what if, what if God really does want us to have to wake up every day and decide to trust him instead of giving us so much all at once that in all practical terms, we really wouldn't have to trust for God to ever bless us again? What if God calls us to give not only until it hurts, but what if God calls us to give until we actually need Him to provide for us again? That's that's the way things get discussed in the New Testament with Paul, and I've been wrestling with the with the the idea that maybe there's a reason that Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread instead of asking God for a bread factory. Which is how I feel like we usually pray. We want it all at once. We want more than enough all at once. And then we want to have control over it, and then we, we promise ourselves. I think we, we really mean it at first, but if we're not careful, if we don't have a plan, if we're not intentional, we look back at the amount of money that has gone through our lives, and we don't have very much kingdom to show for it. And I'm not talking about my kingdom or your, your kingdom. I'm talking about God's kingdom. We, just, we don't have much to show for any of it. You and I will never be able to give the way the Apostle Paul asks us to give in 2 Corinthians until we trust God to be the one who takes care of us. That we're thankful for God. Instead of pouring everything into our lives all at once, God has decided to partner with us, to let us, to give us the gift of partnering with him. He's given us talents. He's given us Insight. He's he's given us opportunity. He's given us energy, and he wants us all all the time, every day, to partner with all of those gifts that he's given us, so that we can have a plan to to with God take care of ourselves. and And once we have the sense, the conviction that God is going to always take care of us, then we don't just have to have a plan of of, of partnering with God to take care of ourselves. We can then relax spiritually and emotionally enough to develop a sacrificial plan to take care of other people too. God, God doesn't create us to be happy through self-centered lives that are all about us. God creates us to find lasting joy And Jesus tells us over and over again that that life cannot be about me and it can't be about you, at least not when it comes to my life and your life. If our life is going to be worth something, really, if it's going to be worth anything, it is a life that's not about self, it's about others. It's always about others. And we struggle with this in friendship relationships. We struggle with this in marriage relationships. We struggle with this in church relationships, and we definitely struggle with this in our relationship to money. It is a decision we have to make. And I can tell you this much. I have seen people who don't have any money who are obsessed with it, and I have seen people who have far too much money remain obsessed with it. It's not it's not a question of how much it's a question of trust. It's a question of faith. And do we really believe that if we gave until it hurts, if, if we gave the way Jesus gives, that God would let us down, that God would fail us? I, I stand up here this morning to tell you, I can't think of a time in my life where God let me down or failed me. He's always taking care of me. And sometimes it's been through partnering with me in effort and work. And other times it's been through people like my parents. And other times it's been through people like you. And other times it's been through people I don't even know. And in all those different ways, no matter which, which human being or, or whose hands that blessing comes through, it comes from God. We either believe it or we don't. And there's only one way to prove to ourselves and to God and anybody else that we believe that there's plenty more where that came from when it comes to God's financial blessings in our lives, and that is to give sacrificially, to give generously, to give until it hurts. And trust that the God who has never let us down before will never let us down. I'm preaching this sermon after the offering on purpose. Paul says, don't give because you feel forced. Don't give because somebody talked you into it. Don't give because someone else has pressured you. Give with joy. Give out of of gratitude. Give as a cheerful giver. Nobody, nobody in this room can give cheerfully when they're being pushed and forced. I'm not wanting that for you. And I'm not up here talking at a year end and wanting for you to give more so that we can spend your money in other ways in this year and the year ahead. That's, I'm not up here out of institutional anxiety. You have been generous. You will continue to be generous. I'm up here begging you to consider this because I promise you, only you can make this decision in your life But there is something amazing when we are able to give in freedom and without fear because we trust. Because we trust. And it's only when we trust that we're going to be able to share. I want to thank you for journeying with me through this series. I want to ask you this week to think of ways as we have every week that you can live this practice out we, tie, we, we 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 tend to hold way way too tightly to money and i usually know that i'm getting close to an idol when people don't want me to keep talking about it i know that that's true for me so just open your heart to god this week Have a conversation with God this week. Pray about it this week and find a way in your life where you can be somebody who learns every single passing year how you can rely more, how you can trust more, how you can give more because of how good God has been and is and will be in your life. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment. And as we do, our shepherds and their wives will be standing in different places in this room to receive you, to pray with you, to talk with you. And so if you have any question at all about our church or uh, what it means to become a Christian and follow Jesus, if if you simply want to talk to another Christian couple about something in your life and pray over it, they're there to receive you, to be community with you. So I'm going to ask them real quickly if they will to stand so you can kind of see how they're scattered throughout the room. Go to them as together we stand and sing.